0: Father's Day is one of those days that it is difficult, honestly, as a preacher to preach on. It's always a challenge to preach on Father's Day. Father's Day and Mother's Day Mother's Day in particular are always challenges because I have no idea of the stories you bring to this place. For some of you, we uh, speak of fathers, and your example is that of a loving, kind, gracious man who nurtured you and cared for you and taught you and was your role model. I hope and pray that for most of you, that's your example. For others, perhaps the concept of father is not a joyous term. Perhaps you didn't have a good dad. Perhaps it was conflict. Maybe even abuse. Maybe the idea of father is a, is a, is a difficult and hard subject for you. For, for some of you, this may be your first Sunday, your first Father's Day, since your father passed away. Those are difficult difficult moments. This may be your 15th Father's Day without your dad. Those are difficult, difficult moments. Perhaps some of us here today desire more than anything to be a father and for whatever reason can't. Father's Day is hard at times, y'all. It is. And I understand that and I honor and respect that. I know that this this can be a day of many emotions for us. That's why I think Job is such an interesting person to consider in the scope of this. To look at Job in his life, in his example. You ever, you ever heard of the phrase, cold comfort? It was, that was a phrase first established by the great theologians Pink Floyd. And their seminal theological work, Wish You Were Here, in the 1970s. Would you exchange cold comfort for change, a walk on part in the war for the lead role in a cage? I always love that song and love that line. Cold comfort. Today we're gonna to talk about suffering. We're talking specifically about Job. And one of, and cold comfort is when you tell the truth about something, but it doesn't help, it doesn't make you feel better. You can tell, the, you can tell someone the truth even with kind and good hearts. But it may not make it better. It may not fix it. It may even make it worse sometimes. Cold comfort. So for instance, probably the question that as a pastor I'm asked the most is probably a question that you are asked a lot. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there suffering? Why do these things happen? I'm fixed to answer that question for you. I think things to tell you why bad things happen to good people and why people suffer. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm in a, I'm in a men's Bible study on Friday morning, and we've been in Romans for a long time, but not near long enough. I love Romans so much. Somebody asked me one day, Andy, if you could read one chapter of the Bible, not one book of the Bible, but only one chapter of the Bible for the rest of your life, what chapter would you choose? I said, That's, that might be the best question I've ever asked in my life. Dave Robertson. Some of y'all remember Dave. Dave asked me that question before he died. I said, Dave, i got to go home and think about that one. I went home and thought. And I came back and said, Dave, if I, was gonna, if I could only read one chapter of the Bible for the rest of my life, I think I'd read Romans 8. I think Romans 8 lays out pretty much everything we need to know as Christians. Uh, so we're going to read Ro- part of Romans 8, and we're gonna I'm going to you the, I'm gonna give you the answer to the question, why do people suffer and why do bad things happen to good people? I want to read Romans 8. We know that all of creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the, who are, have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For, for in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not, hope, is not hope. For who hopes in what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why is there suffering in the world? Because we live in a world that's fallen. Creation was subjected to futility not by its own will, but was subjected to futility by the will of the one who subjected it, is what Paul just wrote. What that means is this. When Adam and Eve fell, when they ate the fruit they should not have eaten from, it wasn't just that they became sinful. And it wasn't just that you and I as human beings after that are sinful. It's that all of creation fell with them. All of creation fell. Everything in creation is disordered. Everything is disordered. Cancer was not in God's glorious design. Brokenness was not in God's glorious design. Hurricanes were not in God's glorious design. Heat waves were not in God's glorious design. We live in a world where not just we as humans are sinful, not just where we have sinful desires, but all of creation is disordered. That's why there's cancer and illness and tragedy and heart attacks that take people too young. That's why there's murder and violence and all the stuff of the world. We live in a world that is fallen and corrupt. Now it's still made in God's image and there's still goodness within it. And we see in Revelation 11 and I'm sorry Revelation 21 that God will come and redeem and restore everything and God's going to fix it. But our world It's corrupt, it's fallen. That's why suffering happens. Because when Adam and Eve fell, it did just affect me and you. It did just affect humanity, but it affected everything. Creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. We live in a world suffering under the effects of the fall. That is why suffering happens. That's why bad things happen to good people. And that's the very definition of cold comfort. Because when you're suffering and when you're hurting and when your world's got blown up, and I tell you, and I were to tell you, hey, the reason why this happened is because of the fall and because of the corruption of the world. Guess what? That doesn't make you feel any better, does it? It's true. I mean, that's the truth why it happened. We live in a fallen world that one day Jesus will redeem. But it doesn't help. It still hurts. The ache and the longing and the pain are still there. So we look at Job today. Job is, Job is such an interesting fella in all of Scripture. It's possible. Like, if we'd have read all of Job 1, we would have seen the extent to which Job is an amazing person. The Bible says, well, Job most likely, probably outside of the creation account, might be the oldest story in all the Bible. We know this because if we read earlier, we'd see that Job had made a sacrifice for his children just in case they may have sinned. Well, if you go and look at the Bible, only the priests and Levites were allowed to, come do, to do sacrifices. So the fact that Job is doing a sacrifice means that Job took place before Moses and the Levitical law. So Job may even predate Abraham. Job is one of the oldest stories in the entire Bible. And we see, when you read the story we read earlier, you see wave after wave after wave. This happened. They all died. And as he was still speaking, someone else came and said, Hey, they all died. And as he was still speaking, someone else came and said, Hey, they all died. And, I, and notice it says, And I alone escaped to tell you. And I alone escaped to tell you. And I alone escaped to tell you. Job suffered every loss a human being could suffer all of his property, all of his wealth all of his children. If you can lose it, Job lost it. If you could lose it, Job lost it. And Job, as this text tells us and as the entire book tells us, was a good man, a righteous man. And he suffered. I really think one of the reasons why Job is in Scripture is because God is telling us that suffering is sometimes part of our existence as human beings. It's something we all do. It's something that happens to all of us. I had, I had a professor of mine in seminary say one time, said, you should always read the book of Proverbs and the book of, of, of Job in tandem. Because Proverbs tells you this. Work hard, go to bed early, get up early, keep your nose clean, you'll be just fine. What's Job tell you? Not so much. Not so much. Because Job did not suffer for anything he did. Job suffered because he's a good man. Because suffering happens. One of my favorite quotes is by Tim Keller. Tim Keller is, 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 a, is a preacher in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. I think for my, for my money, Tim Keller is the best, best preacher in America, in my opinion. He's the best preacher we've got nowadays. Um, and he said this. I'm going to probably mangle this quote, but it's such a good quote I want to share it with you. Tim Keller says this the basic premise of religion is wrong. Religion tells us that if we do right and are faithful and are righteous, everything will be just fine for us. Who was more righteous? And who who more faithfully followed the will of the Father than Jesus Christ? And who suffered more than Jesus? Jesus suffered the abandonment of his friends. Jesus suffered the cross. Jesus suffered the shame. Jesus suffered all this. So Keller will tell us that a religion that tells us, hey, just do these things here and be a good person and everything will be perfect and there will be no more suffering, there will be no no suffering, there will be no pain. That's not actually biblical religion. Biblical religion tells us that Jesus Christ did everything a human, one could do. Jesus Christ perfectly kept the law. Jesus Christ perfectly did everything, and Jesus still suffered. Job, now, okay, so Jesus was the son of God. Well, Job was equally righteous, did everything it he said here. He did not sin against God in that moment. And yet he still suffered. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Paul in his letters has some interesting things that he says. And one of the things that Paul does quite often in his letters is Paul does not pray for the absence of suffering. But Paul actually says, I pray that I may suffer and in my suffering be drawn closer to God. I said earlier that if I had one chapter of the Bible to read the rest of my life, it would be Romans 8. We just unpacked part of it earlier because it tells us some mysteries. But the one of the reasons why I like Romans 8 is called Romans 8 28. All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God does not always stop bad things from happening, but the power and the sovereignty and the majesty of God is that God can redeem anything and God can bring good out of anything, including our sufferings. Y'all know me. I love to talk about how Christ. Christ, we don't suffer in vain, for Christ suffered with us. And Christ, through, through Christ, God experienced pain, loss, hurt. Through Christ, God experienced all that we experience, and that is true. But I think there's also something to be said about this. The fact that when we suffer as awful as it is, and as painful as it is, and as hard as it is, our sufferings through the grace of Christ, can actually draw us closer to Christ. For when we suffer, we can feel the same type of suffering that he felt. And we can be bound closer to him. Because we know that in these moments of pain, these moments of hurt, these moments of loss, it's not that we are holding on to Jesus. It's that Jesus is holding on to us. And we find that we can't take one more step. And we find that our will seems broken. We feel like we are, we are given up. And that there's nothing left in us. We find it's not our, our power that takes that next step. Or it's not our will that takes that next step. It's not our ability that gets us through it. But we find that it's Jesus moving through us, moving in us, and holding on to us when we want to let go. Suffering does one of two things to us, my mama used to always say. Tragedy is one of two things to us. It'll either drive you to God or drive you away from God. But it will not leave you unchanged. And I believe Job teaches us that part of what we're going to experience in life is that we're going to suffer at times. And y'all, as your pastor, as your friend, I'd give anything if that was not the case. I mean, I've held many of your hands in difficult days. And you've heard me say, I wish I had magic words. I wish I had words to take it away. I wish I had words to make it go away, but I don't. But here's the word I do have. We're never alone. We're never alone. And even in our suffering... When we can't find the breath in our lungs to breathe, it is God himself and his spirit that is our breath that keeps us going. Hold on tight to Jesus because he's holding on tighter to you. Our suffering show us that. And I think another thing that suffering shows us kind of in conclusion is the fact that our suffering shows us gives us the ability to empathize with others in their suffering. Because, yeah, it's good to know. It's good to know that God's with us. But even in our suffering, God, maybe in our suffering, God may feel distant. God may feel other. But when we suffer and when we've been through something, we can empathize with others when they suffer and when they're going through something. And we can hold their hand. And we can cry on, we can let them cry on their shoulders. I, you, you may have heard me say it. In your suffering times, I'll be what you need me to be. If you need to cry on my shoulder, cry on my shoulder. If you need to yell at somebody, come yell at me. I don't care. We need somebody with us. And I think it's our suffering makes us more like Christ because we hold on to Christ more. Our suffering also gives us the ability more to be Christ to others, to let Christ live through us and hold their hand in their suffering, and be their friend in their pain, be their strength when they can't stand. Suffering allows us to identify with Christ and his pain, allows us to be like Christ to someone else. There's an old story about an old boy walking down the road. He falls in a hole. He's in this hole now, stuck there. And as he's sitting in the hole, he sees the preacher walk by, and he goes, Preacher, preacher, help, I'm in a hole. Help me, preacher, I'm in a hole. Preacher says, Sure thing. Preacher takes out his pad, writes out a prayer, those in the hole. Our guy grabs and says, What am I going to do with this? I'm still in a hole. What am I going to do with this? So a few minutes later, the, the doctor walks by. He says, Doc, Doc, it's me. I'm in the hole. Help me, Doc. I'm in the hole. Doc says, Sure thing takes out his his notepad, writes out a prescription, throws in the hole. Or a guy's like, okay, I got a prayer and prescription, but I'm still in the hole. What am I going to do with this? Finally, a minute later, a buddy walks by. He says, hey, Joe, 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 it's me, it's me. I'm in the hole. So Joe jumps down the hole with him. He's like, well, that was stupid. Now we're both in the hole. Joe says, yeah, but I've been in this hole before. And I know the way out. When we suffer, and we make it through it, we know the way out. Now, the way out, y'all, the way out may lead through the cross. And that may hurt, and that may be difficult, and that may be painful. But always remember, y'all, always remember that on the other side of the cross, there's the empty grave. And tears may come in the evening, but joy cometh in the morning. And that as painful as it may be, we know that through the grace of God, we will survive, we will hold on, and we will get through it. Because as Romans 8 tells us, greater that we are more than conquerors. And greater is he who is in us than he was in the world. And so our sufferings not only bind us closer to Christ and allow us to experience him, this consolation and his mercy, but allows us to show Christ to others. In a world in desperate need of redemption, as hard as it may be, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps even the sufferings we go through, God can use them to bring a broken world to salvation. May God use every fiber of our story for our good, but most of all for his glory. Let's pray.